1: They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms.
0: Thank you to our friends at Panini America, the official trading cards and NFTs of the 2024 Colin Coward Show. Panini America delivers a premier collecting experience with the most sought-after NFL, NBA, FIFA, and WNBA trading cards. Whether you're chasing rookie sensations or collecting timeless legends, Panini's got it. Panini America is also breaking new ground in NIL, featuring some of the biggest names in college sports. Turn first-round picks like Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix Jr., and more. Visit PaniniAmerica.net today.
2: The volume.
0: The Colin Cowherd Podcast brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel. More ways to win. Everybody enjoyed Jalen Suggs and the Gonzaga win over UCLA? Well, unless you're a Bruin fan, you probably did. But did you notice the platform? Jalen Suggs is now identifiable. You have an emotional connection. He's got a story. What did LeBron's agent, Rich Paul, tell us a couple of weeks ago on this podcast? You want to make it big? You want to make a lot of money? You got to have a story. Jalen Green was a great high school player. He went straight to the G League. No idea who he is. Don't watch his games. Jalen Suggs, on the virtue of that performance against UCLA, the block, the bounce pass, the game winner, is now an event. Jalen Suggs is now a story. Jalen Suggs is now somebody you can't wait to watch professionally. The G League can't give you that platform. When Suggs banked in the game winner, he made himself several million dollars from a shoe deal. Ask Zion Williamson. Shoe explodes. He becomes a story. Too often, the NBA dismisses the platform that is college basketball. Sure, make a few hundred thousand dollars and go to the G League, but nobody watches you play. To me, it's short-sighted. Jalen Suggs now is an identifiable player that you will know in the draft. You will root for once he enters the league. You know him, you're into him. That's why college football dominates. You have these visceral connections watching Baker Mayfield play for several years. College basketball is too often dismissed, and I get that it's not for everybody. But that game and that story and that platform and that moment— cannot be rivaled by playing in Australia or playing in the G League. Go ahead, make a couple hundred thousand dollars. To me, if you can go to college, go to a good program, get a great coach, and be part of something special, the shoe deal increases. We saw it with Zion, and we will see it with Jalen Suggs. Well, I love my first guest today, Terry Stotts, not only because he coaches the Blazers, he had coached the Bucks in Atlanta before that, but he played basketball in the Big 12 and in Europe and in the CBA. He won a title as an assistant beating LeBron in the heat with the Mavs. And it's funny, having worked in Portland for years, uh, I talk about Terry actually often because my friends are all diehard Blazer fans. And it was really special a couple of weeks ago when Terry won his 500th game. And he now joins us. You know, when I watched that, and it's interesting because getting to 500 wins, Terry, in the NBA is hard. Okay, that's the best coaching in the world. And this league is incredibly impatient with coaches. And you didn't get much of a chance in Atlanta and Milwaukee. Did you ever think you'd get to 500 wins in this league as a head coach? <laughs>
3: well, I said, after, after I got my 500th, I, I literally... And I truly believe this. I didn't think I'd get to a hundred after my year and a half in Atlanta. I mean, it was a rough start. You don't know if you're gonna get another chance, much less the third chance. So um to answer your question, no, I didn't.
0: Yeah. You you know, I find you um, you know, you played the game, the players know that. I think you have sort of a joyful, youthful way about you, and I think players relate to that. In the NBA, though, I've always felt that you got the star has to has have, have to have your back. Dame Dame needs to like you. It's important because he is the centerpiece of this franchise. Did you guys connect immediately?
3: You know, I, I think it was, it happened over time. Obviously he came in as a rookie and it was my first year here in Portland. Uh, Damien is uh, a very intuitive person. Uh, he's a very respectful person. And we came into the Portland situation together and we kind of grew into this whole situation together. And obviously He and I are both different than we were nine years ago. But um, I think it's just over time, uh, it's like a marriage. You just grow and you grow together and respect each other and and understand each
0: other. Was there a breakthrough when you really felt a closeness?
3: Um, You know, I
0: remember going into his second year
3: and, you know, obviously uh, we didn't make the playoffs the first year and he wanted to know if he could make if he, if I thought he could make the all-star team and I said, you know, I do, but we have to win. We had LaMarcus Aldridge. He was um, the best player at the time. And if we got one, it was going to be LaMarcus and we did win and he did make the all-star team. And I think just having a trust in him, obviously he won rookie of the year. And uh, even though we lost our last 13 games of the season, it was a growing year for him. He won unanimous Rookie of the Year, and, and I'd like to think that we, we kind of did it together. Obviously, it's his talent, but you know we've been in this together for a long time.
0: You know, Terry, one of the things I like about Dame is somebody once told me, in comedy, be serious. In serious businesses, have a sense of humor. And sports is fun, but Dame is serious. He is really convicted. He is really focused. Who do you compare him to that you've ever played with or coached
3: with? Boy,
0: that's difficult.
3: He's uh, he's a unique guy. But um, you know, the the great ones that I've been around. You know, when in Seattle with Gary Payton and De- and Dirk Nowitzki, Detlef Schrempf in Seattle. All of them had a, a serious mindedness about their about their craft, about their aspirations, about what they wanted to accomplish. And Jason Kidd the same way. They, you know, they all had different personalities, but when it came down to the business of basketball, they didn't screw around. It was about it was about the task at hand.
0: You know, he's averaging about 35, 36 minutes. I'm not a huge fan of load management, but he is smaller. He's not he's not six nine two fifty. Um, you know, he's a guy that can get knocked to the floor. And I think to myself, how do you measure that? Last year at the end of the year, I thought you guys, first of all, you had injuries in the season. You came into the bubble with injuries. And then you were so reliant on your backcourt scoring. And I thought by the end it was a valiant effort, but I thought your team was tired and beat up and nicked. And I look at Dame and I think to myself, Are there moments that you go to him and just say, Hey, I need you. I need, I got to cut your hours back. I got to cut your minutes back. And does he respond to that?
3: Well, as you mentioned, he's really competitive, and he wants to be on the court. If it were up to him, he'd play. He'd play the whole game. And uh, honestly, my point of view, the 36 minutes to me is comparable to players of his stature. Uh, if you look at at the best players in the league, they play 35, 36, 7 minutes a game. So I don't think that's extraordinary. I I really try and keep him under. 39, 40 minutes every game. Uh, the bubble was an extraordinary situation in that we had eight games plus a play-in that it was all hands on deck. There was no tomorrow. It was essentially we were playing knockout games the whole time. And I, I do think fatigue hit us when we went into the Lakers series. But that was such a unique situation just to get into the playoffs. That was our playoffs. So I, I think he takes really good care of himself. I think he can manage the minutes that he does play and the grind uh, of the bubble is a little different, I think, than what we're going through right now.
0: I've said the two players in the NBA, 15 seconds left. I want the ball in their hands are Steph and Dame. And I've said it multiple times on my show. There's uh, as you pointed out, an intuitiveness, a confidence. uh, The range is just greater than anybody else in the league. How Terry, how much do you draw the play out with Dame and how much do you allow him to just sort of feel it?
3: You know, my job is to get him the ball. You know, if we call, play, if we call a play at the end of the game, the most important thing is to get him the ball and have good spacing, uh, have the right other players on the floor with him uh, that allows him to, to read the situation. But, you know, I, I try not to stand in the way of greatness. Honestly, it's uh you let great players do great things. And like I said, call a timeout. A lot of times we don't call a timeout if he already has the ball, because they'll do everything in their, in their power to deny him the ball. So, you know, it, it's one of those situations I learned. And that's one of the things we've learned together is early on in the first two or three years, he said, I, I need to take that shot. I need to take that shot. And so that's how, I think that's how it's evolved, and obviously he's come through. But you know, it's sometimes I get criticized for saying, "Well, you know, all he does is get Dame the ball." Well, yeah, that's that's my job is <laughs> getting him the ball. <laughs>
0: it's not a bad. You know what? Hike it to Tom Brady; he'll take care of the rest. Um, you know, Terry, it's interesting. You childhood in Guam. You played overseas. You played domestically. And I've always said this, that I believe this. The international players are different, especially bigs. They're very highly skilled. They go into those academies. Whereas I do believe, and this is not a knock on international players, but the domestic kids, you know, the Dames and the D-Wades, there's an edge to them. There's a a grit to them. And I don't know what it is, where it's developed. I can sense it with Dame. I sensed it with D-Wade. I sense it with players. Kawhi Leonard's got some of it. When when you look at international players, you've had Enos Kanner, Nurkic. Um, tell me the, the again, when they come in so skilled, do you coach a European player slightly differently sometimes than domestic young player?
3: Well, uh, I don't like to paint broad strokes on guys, you know, European uh, domestic players, uh, you know, French play, you know, it's, I think, I, I think that's a disservice. I've two of the tougher minded players uh, that I've been with. I mentioned Detlef and Dirk and uh, they don't come any tougher minded than those two guys. Uh, there used to be, I, I think somewhat of a fallacy that international players were soft. I, I disagreed yeah. with that. Um, you look at Tony Kukoc and you go through uh, all the players from the former Yugoslavia. Those are tough minded guys. And they, you know, they, they went through some tough times. You look at Vladi and, and uh, Paige, I was lucky to be with Paige Stoyakovich. So I, I don't like painting uh, a broad strokes picture on personalities, but I will agree with you that there are guys in this league, Gary Payton, uh, Jason Kidd, all the Oakland guys, <laughs> Damian Lewis. Right. I mean, those are tough-minded guys as well. And whether it's their background or whether it's in their nature or both, uh, but there is something to that, and it's an important part of their success.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, even as a smaller player, uh, Terry, you know the I, I've told friends this for years. When you sit courtside, NBA is an incredibly physical game. You just don't see it if you're 12 rows up. You played in this game, you know it. Um, Dames, definitely. He is a he is a tough player. But it's funny about defense. And I've had this argument with friends before. The NBA is 70% offense, 30% defense. I love Ben Wallace. But in the end, he couldn't stop the great scores. How much? Because it is so difficult at the college level. Terry, I may go through a whole season as a, as a college player and face one NBA guy. In the NBA, if you if you don't give an effort on the defensive end, you'll score twenty eight and give it up. How do you look defensively? The knock on Dame is not a great defensive player. How much effort do you demand? How do you look at the defensive side? I remember you when I as I recall. You were a hard nosed, maybe not Jerry Sloan, but a hard nosed defensive player. What do you demand from the defensive side from your players?
3: Well, look, our defense this year uh, has has been poor. There's no question about it. And I, I I firmly believe that yes, you can have great defenders, but I think in this league, to be successful, it has to be a team effort. You can't have one great defender doesn't make a good defensive team. It certainly helps experience. Also helps young teams, young players really have a hard time developing their defense in this league more so than their offense. That being said, um, you know, I know the knock on Dame is about his defense, but we have had some good defensive teams where obviously he's playing 82 games. And he's playing 36, 37 minutes a game. And we've had some bad defensive teams as well. And he's playing the same minute. So to put it all on to Dame, I think is totally unfair. It's a team game. Uh, I personally, I think I take more responsibility for our team defense than anybody, rather than putting it at the hands of, of one player. And you know, to, as a coach, it's all about uh, the pluses, the strengths have to outweigh the, the weaknesses. The pluses have to outweigh the minuses. And um, that's what I try to do as a coach is have the guys out there that, that our strengths outweigh our weaknesses and manage to win games.
0: You know those hot takes you post on social media? Well, now you can win up to $5,000 when you put those takes to the test on FanDuel. It's a new game called Over Under, and it's absolutely free to play on FanDuel. Here's how it works. FanDuel will set lines on things like total points or three-pointers made during every NBA on TNT broadcast. All you have to do is pick over or under for every prop. Your picks could win you a share of $5,000 during every contest. FanDuel's the exclusive home for OverUnder, and it's available in all 50 states, so you can play from anywhere. All you have to do is go to FanDuel.com OverUnder and sign up now if you have not done so already. You create a new FanDuel account if you don't already have one. It takes less than two minutes to sign up. Then put your takes to the test during every NBA on TNT broadcast at FanDuel.com OverUnder. They could be worth up to $5,000. Age and location restrictions apply. See fanduel.com for terms and conditions. You put it off long enough, it's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to tirerack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin
4: It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
0: Hi, let's talk about Pro Plan Sport. Pro Plan Sport is advanced nutrition made to fuel strength and stamina in active dogs like yours. So whether you're heading out to explore a new trail or looking to set a personal best on your daily run, start your journey off right with the high-performance fuel your dog needs to keep pushing you every step of the way. Pro Plan Sport. Discover the power of advanced nutrition for strength and stamina at ProPlansport.com. That's ProPlansport.com. Terry, um, Portland's one of those markets. Um, I thought years ago, I thought they could get a super team because of Nike. Jordan loved Portland. It could happen. Uh, by the way, if it wasn't for some injuries to Greg Oden, Brandon Roy, th- th- it could be a whole different Blazer story. Sam Bowie, you guys have had three horrible breaks from players and injuries, but it's not a likely destination for a super team. That said, you were an assistant on the Mavs team that beat LeBron in the heat. Let's go back to that secret sauce of that team. J.J. Barea and Jason Kitt. It was a really interesting mix of players. Take me into the coaching assignments before that series started and your mission with the Mavs to beat LeBron. How did you view the series?
3: Well... You know, we had some vets who were, you know, you look at Jason Kidd and Dirk and where they were in their careers. And um, first of all, before I get into the coaching, I, I just want to say what how happy I was for those two guys in particular for their careers and to have they're both Hall of Famers and to have a, have them both win a championship the way we did it in was extremely special for everybody uh, from a coaching standpoint. You know, Dirk carried us, but we were a very smart group. I mean, you look at Jason Kidd, who's one of the smartest players uh, I've ever been around. And you have Dirk Nowitzki and and then the whole host of complementary players. And to get to the finals, we had almost everybody on that roster contributed in some way to either yeah. get to the finals or to win the finals. And that was, that was a testament to Rick and how he – could manage a game and manage a team, but going into the finals, uh, it didn't look good. We, you know, we lost the first one. We were down 2 one, uh, but we, uh, we wanted to make LeBron work, you know, and I think Jason Kidd in particular, but everybody, Sean Stevenson tried to make, pick him up, make him work, uh, use some energy. Um, offensively, we played through Dirk. We did what we did. Nurk, uh, Dirk was just phenomenal throughout that series, but we, uh, to win a series like that against um, against Miami. We had to play both both ends of the court really well and you know we did especially the last 3 games.
0: Yeah, and I, and I remember feeling Miami felt strained uh, once the series evened up, once you guys took command of it. You, I I felt last night over the weekend watching Gonzaga UCLA, I kept thinking, god, UCLA can't keep making all these tough shots and with about 5 minutes to go, I thought, oh Oh, this is now I can sense the pressurization on Gonzaga. I could sense the pressure on Miami when they could not put you away. You would love to put that kind of pressure on LeBron and the Lakers. Daryl Morey was on a couple of weeks ago and he said, you know, Colin, when I was with Houston, we built our team to beat Golden State. We knew we couldn't win the title if we couldn't get through them. Is that dangerous? Or do you look at it and think, listen, we got to figure out how to stop LeBron otherwise we're not getting to the West. How do you view it in the Western conference playoffs?
3: Well, our goal was, you know, Miami was down the road. You know, our goal was, you know, Portland gave us a good series and, you know, it was tied up at two, two. And, yeah. you know, even though we swept the Lakers the next round and obviously the Lakers were a two time defending chance, you know, we swept them, but every game up until game four could have gone either way. That could have easily been, uh, a different series so we had we had some tests going getting into the Miami uh getting in getting to the Miami series I'm not sure about Miami and what the road that they went through I know they they had some bumps along the way in the regular season but uh honestly our goal was we didn't look past our first round and it wasn't about how how do we do this to beat Miami it's about how do we do this to have success in the playoffs period
0: You know, uh, aesthetically, baseball and basketball look different today simply because of the analytics. And, you know, a term I use on my show is manalytics. I believe in analytics, but these are human beings, and they're often 27, 28, 29, 30-year-old males, alphas. Don't don't turn them into code. Don't turn them into numbers. At some point, you just have to, Terry, say – This is my guy. I don't care what the analytics say. I'm just going to let my guy go with it. How do you reconcile some of the analytics that may tell you not to take this jumper, not to take that jumper? But you have you have to also have the support of your guys. And if Carmelo's good from 18, he's good from 18.
3: My biggest belief, especially at the offensive end, is players play best when when they're playing confident and they're playing free and not looking over their shoulders and not second guessing themselves and and additionally is playing to their strengths and you know mellow is shooting the three well and he gets you know he still gets his post-ups but he knows the three is important for us and he's i think he's shooting more of those than he has in his career so that's important i think it's that what you'll accept is important and look players know I don't discourage guys from taking threes, but eventually they figure out if they're not a good three-point shooter, they'll start turning them down on their own rather than me telling them not to shoot that shot. Um, We've had good success since I've been here of guys having better three-point shooting years than they've had in the past because we encourage it. And for me, the analytics are important. We're shooting a ton of threes this year and that's the way the analytics says it should be. But I also believe that LaMarcus Aldridge was one of the best mid-range shooters, Big Ben, in the league. And he had phenomenal years with us while I was here. And you don't play go away from a guy's strengths, the guys, what got them. Now, they can add to their game, but don't take away their strengths.
0: Terry, um, your team likes each other. And you've had, like Enos Kanter, you've had personalities. You've had international players. You've got a star. You've had aging players who were stars, Carmelo Anthony but yet Portland kind of works. You don't hear about dissension. You don't hear about drama. You guys just go to work, which was, by the way, the way you played. Not a lot of drama, hard working. but it's not easy. It's a winter league. You got a lot of long flights up to Portland. The West is tough. You go on losing streaks. If you face a Denver, a Clipper, a Utah, I mean, you got to fight your ass off to not have a three-game losing streak. Everybody does in this league. How do you keep it joyful? How do you keep the season light? So, I mean, it's, it's intense enough, Terry.
3: You know, it's, it's a little bit more difficult this year with COVID and the, the restrictions and the protocols that we have to go through. There's less time together. It's um, you can't have a team dinner. You can't, you can't do a lot of those things, but for me, part of it I think is that, uh, you know, Neil O'Shea's done a great job of bringing good people in and that matters. It really does. And, you're right. We haven't had drama. Certainly there's ups and downs of a season. You have losing streaks and you got to get through it. But I think the the quality of people that Neil has brought in, the leadership of Dame, keeping things serious enough, but you got to, it can't be drudgery coming into the gym. You know, it's, you got to read the room. Um, You know, it's not going to be all uh, giggles all the time, but uh, you know, one of the things that when I played in France, one of the things that They do in France is the first time you see somebody, you go and say hello. You go shake their hand. You walk around the gym and say hello. I try and do that just to make a connection every day and say, hey, it's a new day. And you're right. In the NBA, the games keep coming and you can't dwell on it. It can't be misery in the gym. I just different coaches coach different ways. And there have been a lot of successful coaches um, who have a different demeanor. But that's not me. And I don't think um, I don't think it would work for me.
0: Did you like playing in France? I
3: loved it. Uh, you know, it was second, second level, but I played in Italy, Spain, and France. I enjoyed each country in their own way. All three of them, great food. I learned the language in bo- all three countries. Great people. Um, it was a great experience. I didn't make as much money. I kind of missed the, the money boom, but I had a great experience.
0: So let's talk about facing LeBron now and the Lakers. They're a very big basketball team. They add Andre Drummond, who's just a rebounding force. He's still, by the way, 27. It's amazing to read social media. People say, oh, the guy couldn't do this and that in Detroit." I'm like, he's a kid. He's an All Star. He's a kid. That is a big lineup. 80 comes back. Andre Drummond, LeBron. Is there even a way to defend this Lakers team? Like, is there? I mean, listen they're going to win some games you're not going to stop them but is there a way that you prefer to play them with that size
3: Uh, it's difficult uh there's no question uh you know we beat them in game one and to be honest they're very similar to last year and we beat them in game one in the playoffs um the thing about the playoffs you you just got to be them four times you don't have to beat them you know you don't have to beat them and that goes for anybody besides the Lakers but Look, any team that has a healthy LeBron is going to be difficult to beat, no matter who they put around him. He makes players better. Uh, AD is is probably the best compliment, compliment to AD that uh, to LeBron that he's ever had, and and you can and the best. Obviously, it's worked for AD, so it is a challenge, no question. But that's part of the that's part of the the fun of playing in a playoff series or preparing for a regular season game is trying to figure out a way to to have success against whoever you're playing.
0: You know, in all your years, you've coached with Rick Carlisle. You've coached against him. You've coached against Spolstra. I mean, it's, it's the best coaching in the world. What coach, situationally, two minutes left down the stretch, who's the coach in this league you've really – you just know you're in for a, a dogfight because he's going to be clever. hes I always think Spolstra is way underrated but is there a coach or two that you think situationally is as tough as anybody?
3: Well, I, I will say this. And, and you said, I think the coaching in the NBA is, is outstanding. And usually the best coaches are the ones with the best players, <laughs> first of all. So, <laughs> so you know, pop, is, pop is, uh, has been a master in getting back doors and getting back, uh, getting a three when they need it. So, and he's had some really good players, but, I think situationally, you have to look at Pop as being the one one of the best.
0: And is he? A, what is his secret sauce? Uh,
3: I think he. First of all, they're all tied into what whatever they. He's had some great players, great experienced players. Uh, and I'm going to obviously to the Duncan Ginobili Parker era, where um, they knew how they knew how to read each other. Whether it was a the backdoor, they had their pet plays, uh, getting a three point shot on the weak side. It was about the timing of when you knew those plays were coming. You just didn't know when. Uh, and they executed. They had great fundamental players. And, you know, I've been to some of some of Pop's practices when the year I was out coaching. But he does a great job of never discarding the fundamentals of what's important to have team success.
0: Is that hard sometimes in the NBA when players are so skilled and don't have to be perfect fundamentally to get 28?
3: It is. It is, you know, moving without the ball. uh, So many players, I think more and more, and I'm starting to age myself a little bit, date myself, but, you know, moving without the ball, setting up a cut, setting up a back door. So many players, uh, younger players are used to having the ball in their hands and that's how they've had their success. So I I thought Pops teams really moved well without the ball. They set themselves up uh, and they had great passing and, players today are so talented with the ball dribbling passing shooting that the the other part off the ball the screening the cutting sometimes gets lost
0: you know obviously lebron's a great player but i remember talking to dominique one time dominique wilkins and i said was michael jordan the hardest guy you ever guarded?" and he said no he said athletically i loved guarding him i said who was hard and dominique said i could not sleep the night before i faced bernard king He goes, I threw everything at him. He said, Bernard, just he scored as much as he wanted to on me. Go back to either your playing or coaching career. A player that I, and I love Bernard King growing. My two most underrated players in league history are Gus Williams and Bernard King, who didn't get that. Bernard had injuries. Gus played up in Seattle. I told Paul Silas that once. He said, you should have seen Gus at practice. Um, You remember Gus, just the wizard. Oh, of course.
3: Yeah. Oh. Uh, watching them win the championship, um, you know, that was in your heyday as well, but uh, he got buckets.
0: <laughs> Who's a player that would surprise me if I said, Terry, hard to prepare for, difficult to match up with throughout your career. It could be a George Gervin, or Bernard King, just somebody that jumps out that's maybe not the face of the league, wildly underappreciated.
3: You know, the name that comes to me um, and they're, you're right. There are a lot of guys like that, but the name that comes to me is Alex English.
0: Oh my um, God. I knew it. I,
3: <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I mean, those teams in Denver and I wasn't in the NBA, but I mean, you had Kiki Vandeway and Alex English and Doug Moe coaching them. And they just, they moved, they passed, they cut. Um, I can't, that team would have so much success in today's game because of how they move and pass. They would score, they would score a bunch, but Alex, Alex was uh, one of my assistants in Atlanta, but he might be one of the more underappreciated Hall of Fame players out there.
0: You know, it's so funny. I am literally laughing. I have referenced him before. I said, if you're 20, 30 years old, because he wasn't a dunker, he was kind of reed thin, shot the ball above his head, and not all the games, Terry, were on TV. So I would right. read the Seattle Times box score. He dropped like 32 every other night. And you're like, well, who is he? Who's Alex. You know, there was another player that was a different kind of player named Walter Davis for the Suns. Right. An- another incredibly cagey player that just never got his due because back then the games weren't on television. So the Paul Westfalls, uh, uh the, the Alex Englishes. By the way, Kiki Vandaway is another guy that dropped. Oh,
3: exactly. Exactly. I mean, you talk about a fundamental player who could shoot, pass, cut, screen. Um, you know, he basically... What every player is doing now with the step back, that's what Kiki almost invented the step back. I mean, his footwork was was outstanding. And like I said, you put Kiki and Alex English together on the same team with that style of play. It was uh, it would be hard to guard. And like you're right, I didn't get a chance to see him that much. You know, I'd see clips and but it's not like today where you could just sit and watch uh, Alex English every night. (laughs)
0: finally terry i think are you six right now in the west if i recall sixth. i think so the key in this league is being healthy which you can't control and being in a rhythm where is portland today
3: well we're getting healthy uh you know nurk's been back for uh Yusuf Nurkic has been back for a week um and his minutes he's on ministry six night right now but he's getting healthy uh cj mccollum's been back we just had a norman powell so Our health is coming back. We uh, withstood the the injury bug uh, with those two guys, and we're still in a good spot. I think we're in a good rhythm. We're going to have a good test. You know, we play the Clippers coming up. Uh, We play Utah coming up. Our second half of the season is going to be tough. But, you know, I think we're in a good rhythm right now. We won four in a row on the road had a good win last night, but uh, the tests are coming and you know, things can change on a dime. You know, you can have have a rhythm one day and then be gone the next and vice versa. So we're in a good place right now.
0: I kind of feel there are certain teams in this league, Utah's one, you're another where you've been running the same system for years. And even though it's a condensed schedule, it kind of benefits you or Utah where you don't get the extra tape session this year. You don't get the team dinner or the extra practice but your team knows what you demand. They know your system. Do you feel there are nights where you face a younger team or a team with a new coach? Um, You're a tactical guy, but I kind of feel like there are teams in the league where the condensed schedule kind of works in their favor. And when you're healthy, I feel like you're a team like that.
3: I'd like to think that. Uh, We'll see how it plays out. You know, I I do believe, though, that We're 40, 50 games in. And by that point, I I think everybody kind of knows who they are. You know, there's that familiarity. Uh, You know, I always thought back in the Sloan, uh, Carl Malone, Stockton era that they had an advantage early on because they did. They ran the same system and um, they, you know, they could come out of the gate. Uh, not missing a beat. I remember going to San Antonio's practice in 07 after they won the championship and they had everybody coming back and I was there for a week and pop almost didn't have to say a thing because it was just, everybody knew what everybody was supposed to do. So I do think there's some advantages to that early in the season, but I don't know now uh, so much, but uh, you know, game, I think the way Dame and I have been together, um, he manages the game really well that it takes a lot off of my plate because we're we're kind of seeing the game the same way.
0: Two young players I can't take my eyes off, Luka and Zion. When was the first time you saw Zion play? And are you surprised how quickly he has become a dynamic force?
3: Well, uh first time I probably saw him play was the first time everybody saw him when uh he wasn't having much of a game, then he hit three or four threes. Um, I think that was his first game maybe, but, uh, obviously last year was, a, was a difficult year for him, but w- what he's done this year, um, when we played him the first time this year is, um, you know, you could tell that it was all there. Uh, he's such a dynamic force and just incredible. And, you know, Doncic, Luca has been in a different way, just as remarkable. Uh, he, he can hurt you in so many ways. Uh, obviously, two different style of players, but two young players. It's amazing that the impact that they have on the league already at such a young age.
0: Yeah, now that Luka can hit threes, and I said this the yeah. other day, at his age, it wouldn't shock me if somebody said, yeah, he end up being the second highest scorer in league history. I'd be like, yeah, you averaged 29 points for 12, <laughs> for 18 years.
3: Well, the last time uh, – so, thankfully, we had the tiebreak with Dallas, but they beat us the last game by 40, and Luka had made his eight first eight threes. Uh, it was – you know, when he's making his step-back threes, uh, it's because he can do so many other things. It's, it, it makes him a, a, <laughs> a big trouble.
0: Terry, great talking to you and meeting you. Good luck the rest of the way. I always have a soft spot for the Blazers, and congratulations on your success.
3: Colin, thanks for having me. I enjoy listening to your show and watching your show. So keep up the good work.
0: You put it off long enough, it's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Yokohama tires. Ship fast and free to a recommended installer near you. Or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation. They'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site. Doesn't get much easier than that. Go to TireRack.com Colin to see their Yokohama test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews. And be sure to check out all their current special offers. Great tires, great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com the way tire buying should be.
1: Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years.
4: Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with
0: Amex. Hi, let's talk about Pro Plan Sport. Pro Plan Sport is advanced nutrition, at ProPlansport.com. That's ProPlansport.com. All right, we got to bring in Chad Millman. Absolutely. Championship game tonight. Gonzaga opened at minus five against Baylor, down to minus four and a half. He's the chief content officer for the Action Network. His podcast is The Favorites. We bring in my buddy Chad Millman. Let's talk hoops. All right, Chad, for the first time ever in the history of the volume podcast, I poured a cocktail to have you on the show.
5: What did you pour
0: yourself? Uh, Kettle, club soda, freshly squeezed OJ.
5: Sounds beautiful. I have a 17-year-old son, and during the pandemic, uh, he got crazy into mixology. Yeah. And so every night during the pandemic, at about five o'clock, especially in the first two to three months, he would come up to my office <clears throat> or he would ask my wife, hey, do you guys wanna drink? And he would go to our little bar and he would make my wife and I drinks every single night. It got to the point where my wife actually said, I gotta stop drinking because they're delicious And he's making too many of them and it's become unreasonable. And now he'll like say, hey, let's make a run to the the liquor store. You might be familiar with the one near our house. It's called Maximum Beverage. And yeah, we're going in there just literally this week. He went in, he bought like two bottles of bourbon, a bottle of birch liquor. And tonight he just made my wife this incredible drink that She's downstairs getting sloshed right now, and I had to come up here and do this.
0: <laughs> by the way, Maximum Beverage is a beautiful store. Do you know who the owner is? I'm familiar with the owner. Yeah. It, and by the way,
5: thank you, Colin Cowherd, it so, is an incredible establishment.
0: Okay. So I'm taking the Zags minus four and a half, and here's why. For, first of all, I think UCLA is so tough. I, I am blown away by Cronin and those players. How good would they have been with Deshaun Nix? Um, I don't. I think we look at that and think you, Gonzaga was off. And my takeaway is, no. If they played again, it would be the exact same game. I think UCLA would beat Baylor. That's how good I think UCLA is. I can't explain all of it or wrap my arms around it, but I think it's a bit of a reprieve. I think the scoring will be easier down low for Gonzaga. Now, Baylor's, they're driven by their guards, but I thought the toughness of UCLA's bigs, the ranginess, um, I think Gonzaga's going to get more comfortable, and I think they're going to cover. That's my take. You're a sharp. What's your view on that?
5: Well, I agree with you. That UCLA game was astounding, and we talked about this in the podcast last week. Mick Cronin brought a style of defense and a style of play to UCLA that is anathema to the glamour world that we are used to seeing from LA and from Westwood and a high octane offense. This is a team that can score. And you're right. If they had had all their players, the full complement of weapons, who knows how good this team could have been, but they were so tenacious and obviously they had a hard time stopping people in the post. That's a virtue of sort of, the size and Cody Riley was by himself, but that was an unbelievable game. And I agree. As soon as it was over, I thought to myself, this number is going to move in Baylor's direction. And if you like the Zags, just wait, just wait for it to shrink a little bit more because the value is going to be on the Zags because of how well Baylor played and how close this UCLA Gonzaga game was.
0: So I have a source inside the UCLA staff, a good source and going into the game, their takeaway was you got to put a body on Gonzaga because you'll hang with Gonzaga, and they're fun to play. They're up and down the f- court, and players like that. And you'll be like down three, down three, down three, and then you look up and you're down 13. So UCLA is like, no, we're going to walk that ball up. We're not going to get into a run because it's fun, and we'll hang with them. But what we have to do is make Every possession difficult. And I have this feeling that Baylor, because they've got really clever guards and they're athletic, they're going to run a little bit with Gonzaga. This game's going to be a little streakier. I felt Gonzaga UCLA was, it was punch, counterpunch, punch, they just stayed on each other. I think this game's going to have runs and streaks. Baylor can, Baylor can go ice cold. They're athletic enough. They're going to want to run with Gonzaga. They're skilled enough they're going to want. So I think I'm going to take the over in Gonzaga. I think it's going to be entertaining, but I think the game's going to be more streaky than the UCLA. I mean, UCLA-Gonzaga was Ali Frazier. I mean, it was just yeah. nobody felt like they dominated for a long stretch. So again, my takeaway is the over and Gonzaga.
5: So let's level set here. The the game opened Gonzaga as a five-point favorite. Yeah, It got bet down to four and a half. It's trending towards four, which means that bets generally are coming in on Baylor. The game opened at 160 as a total. It's been bet down to about 159 and a half. Uh, And to me, you said it best. UCLA Gonzaga was Ali Frazier. There was a moment I was on Gonzaga uh, at minus 14. So was I. I thought they were going to run him out of the gym. And I thought UCLA had sort of caught the right teams at the right time. I obviously did not realize how good they had been. And I should have been thinking about, wait, this Pac-12 conference, they all showed and we all underestimated how good they were. But there was a moment I was texting with a buddy. We were both on Gonzaga and he's like, it's done. Our bet's over. We're trying to get out of it live and things like that. I'm like, listen, I don't think it's over. Here's what's going to happen. Because Gonzaga, UCLA had taken Gonzaga's punch. And they were still, they'd played as well as they could, and they were down by one and a half. At halftime, I said, Gonzaga will be up by 10 at the 10-minute break. It's going to come down to free throws. At about 11 minutes, Gonzaga was up by seven. Yep. And it looked yep. like they were about to run away with right. it. And then all of a sudden, UCLA just climbed. Cody Riley hit a couple shots, like climbing, climbing, climbing. I agree with you. That's all setting up to say, I agree with you, Baylor, look, they're three guards, and you got to stop Gonzaga on the perimeter, right? And in Butler, Mitchell, and Teague, especially Mitchell, like best defensive player in the country on the perimeter, they are going to have a hard time scoring. But I do think what Baylor can't do is stop Gonzaga down low, which is what UCLA couldn't do either. I would agree with you on the streaks. Here's some interesting perspective. If this game had been played in December, they were supposed to play in early December, four months ago. Gonzaga was a two and a half point favorite. The total was 155. Now Gonzaga opens about two and a half points higher. The total is about five points higher. I'm with you on the over. Like, you cannot at this point in the season with these two teams running the way they do and Baylor regressing back to shooting as well as they do, you can't not bet the over in this game.
0: You know, it it is, there is, coaches look at tape and, you know, Mick Cronin looks at tape and just says, listen, we can't get into it. We can't, we got to walk the ball up. We we just don't have the NBA skill. and if you watch the game, Gonzaga scored a lot of easy buckets early. Easy meaning they were translating their dumps down low into points. And UCLA kept hitting tough shots. <laughs> and like you, about eight minutes into the second half, I'm like, this isn't a this isn't drying up. They're just hitting tough shots. These are good players. But I do think there's a psychology where a coach looks at film and says, okay, we can do this, and we can't. I think Baylor will look at film and say. We can go up and down the court with them. We can go up and down the court. I don't think UCLA ever felt that. I think UCLA knew. Barkley said this, too. Like, if you want to run with Gonzaga, with UCLA's personnel, that's that's not going to work out. I think Baylor feels they can run with them. And by the way, probably can in spaces. You know, the other thing I thought about, Chad, is that this Gonzaga team would be done without Jalen Suggs. What's really interesting about Gonzaga is they've always been this three-star occasional Euro four star program. And they still are. And then they inserted a five star player. If you look at Jalen Suggs last night, that's the difference. The block, yeah. the bounce pass, the shot. Yes. This is this is a Gonzaga team that looks exactly like the Gonzaga teams that would be now watching UCLA Baylor. But it shows you the value. And this is really interesting because they've now just signed either the 10th or the 13th best high schooler Gonzaga has. They're in on two other players, or maybe it's one. Meaning Gonzaga now is moving into that territory of, oh, we can go get a Jalen Sucks. And it's very interesting because, you know, there- Mark Fuel get criticized, can't win that big game. And it's like, well, he doesn't have a top three pick. I mean, Carmelo Anthony essentially just carried Syracuse to a title. And I watched Jalen Suggs and I thought to myself, if this is the new Gonzaga, so I get fuse coaching, three-star guys, great system. Oh, and I get a star. I'm like, the next... I mean, this, this to me is not random. It's like, is Gonzaga the next basketball power?
5: I think they... I don't think it's next. Look, they're 31-0. They're this is a dominant team that has won prior to last night, had won 29 games in a row by double digits. In the Western Conference Finals, in their, uh, in their conference finals against BYU, they were down by double digits and then won by double digits. This is already a dominant team. And this will it's it's so interesting. They win. They're going down as one of the greatest college basketball teams of all time. And there will not be a, is this the next basketball power? It is the current basketball power. And there's nothing Duke can do about it. There's nothing North Carolina can do it. Kansas can sign Bill Self to eight lifetime contracts. There's nothing they can do about it. This team has established itself as a basketball power. And you're right about Jalen Suggs. He's built like a professional athlete. He is not one of these 18 year old kids who comes in and is super talented, but is gangly. And in three years you see me in the NBA and you're like, wow, that guy is really filled out. He's already filled out. And you mentioned the block and the bounce pass right before that. Cause I was watching this game with one of my kids and he had a dribble drive, turn around fade away jumper. Yes. Stemmed the bleeding for Gonzaga. The next series down was the block and then the bounce pass And I said to my kid, this is a sequence that defines the game and defines his career. And then he goes ahead and hits that game-winning three, which blows everything out of the map. But that was him saying, I'm ready for the moment. I'm not afraid of it. He had been punched literally in the chest, was struggling. He was magnificent.
0: You know, I thought another story, um, and I I don't recall a sweet 16. I haven't watched this much college basketball. In a long time, I I don't even know why it is, because I do think the sport is struggling with keeping its best players. But I'll I'll throw a, you know, the, the two things jump out to me. The fact that Calipari turned down UCLA and couldn't get into the tournament and Cronin gets into the final four. The second thing is, I think too often the NBA dismisses college basketball as a great marketing platform. Jalen Suggs made himself an extra few million last night because now he's a story. And that's how that's what happened to Zion. Shoe explodes. He's a story. That's where Nike pays you more than LeBron's contract. You don't get that in the G League. Like I thought okay. Jalen Suggs was good for college basketball. Like if 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 I'm a parent, I'm like, you're not getting that in the G League. You're not getting that store. I will buy I will literally go watch Jalen Suggs play in Los Angeles off that game last night. I thought it was not only good for Gonzaga, I thought that was a defining platform moment. Like, college isn't for everybody. I get it. But you're not getting that platform and that story in Australia. You're not getting it in the G League. Just your thoughts about how big the game was, and it kind of transcended college hoops. It just felt bigger than that.
5: Well, look, it is a game that college basketball needed. It's been a really fun tournament. You've seen the Ohio's, you've seen the Abilene Christians, you've seen the Oral Roberts, they won their games. But then it kind of played out. UCLA and Loyola were the anomalies in this tournament, right? Because you were seeing generally Chalk was winning, Michigan advanced, Houston advanced. Uh, Obviously, Gonzaga and Baylor advanced. And so you need those moments. What happened last night was such a great game. It will go down in history. The challenge is going to be, did it go down in history for the shrinking audience of people who just want to watch the tournament? And it didn't, were, were enough people who are not interested in college basketball and not interested in what this experience is watching to make them think, I got to watch more of it next year. That's, that's the question. I, I don't know that college basketball can ever be what it used to be when it occupied the zeitgeist in the same way because there are too many guys going to the G League, going to Australia. Look, my kids are 14 and 17. My 14-year-old does not care if UCLA loses its top recruit to go to the G League because he's still watching him play. He sees all of his highlights on Instagram. He follows him on TikTok, right? And so he doesn't care. He's excited to watch the tournament that's in front of him. He thought last night was amazing, but he's already captured. I don't know that last night's game captured more people. It just kept the people who already like it glued.
0: All right, Chad. I think um, I was going to talk some masters, but I don't want to. I don't need to talk anything. Okay. I just, I just, I'm taking, go to Action Network. I'm taking the Zags. Minus four and a half. I'm taking the over for the uh, aforementioned reasons. And uh, this cocktail, I'll be honest with you. Uh, let me show it to you, Milman. It's done.
5: Beautiful. Man, I talked so much. I gave you enough time to drink your entire
0: cocktail. Well, that's the way it should be. At this point in no. my career, fewer words, more money. I'm looking to be word efficient. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I
5: was going to say, you're such a professional. You can ask one question and then it's done. And then like, you just let the guest roll.
0: You know what? From this point forward, um, I'm just going to ask questions and get out of the way because it all pays the same, Millman. True
5: story. Before we go, true story. Many, many years ago, I wrote a book, uh, you know, I've written several books, seven. but I wrote a book uh, about um, a guy named Vince Papali, who, yeah. remember Invincible, right? Yeah, I love that book in NFL history. So I wrote the book Invincible. And I would go when I was at the time I was living in Montclair, New Jersey, which was in northern New Jersey. I would take the New Jersey Turnpike about 90 minutes to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is in southern Jersey outside Philly. And I'd sit with Vince Papali in his basement. And I would interview him for this as told to book called Invincible. And he would tell me all these great stories about his life and how he got to the NFL. And at the time, my younger kid had just been born. And I'd go down there and I'd turn on the tape recorder. And sometimes I was so tired after being up all night and then driving, I would fall asleep in the middle of the interview. And then I would bop my head up. And Vince would be like, it's totally okay, dude. You just ask one question. I'll just keep talking.
0: <laughs> By the way, I think Greg Kinnear was Dick Vermeule in that movie, if I recall. Yes, he was. Yeah. That Greg Kinnear, is, Mark Wahlberg, Elizabeth, thanks. Yeah. Look up that story, folks. Um, that That's actually a top 10 sports movie. My favorite. Great movie. Great movie. Great movie. He's a bartender. Um, my favorite, not that. Anybody cares? My favorite sports movie of all time is Miracle. I think, and I'm not a huge hockey guy, although I do watch the NHL playoffs. The other day I said my second favorite sports movie. It was a baseball movie. Oh, oh, Moneyball. I, great movie. Oh my God. Just an incredible movie. I gotta tell you, that movie, the the book you wrote is a top five sports movie. It is a great story about humanity and the love of something just for people that have never seen it give the name of your book and just tell them the backstory in this because it's fascinating
5: go see the movie invincible it's amazing you don't even need to buy the book go see the movie invincible vince papali was a uh teacher and coach in outside Philadelphia. And he had been an incredible athlete. He had gone to college on a track scholarship. He had been a great pole vaulter. And um, he was playing semi-pro football. And he was an amazing athlete, super fast. And by the way, in these leagues, guys like Joe Klecko, who played at Temple, and then went on to be a great player with the Jets, he was playing in these leagues too. So there were some pretty elite players in there, but these are sandlot leagues. And he eventually caught on. I think he got a, a tryout with the World Football League and might've played a couple games. So he got some notice. Then there was an open tryout for the Eagles when Dick Vermeule took over as the coach. He had come from UCLA. And Papali was so fast he made the team he made the team as this basically walk on wide receiver and he was just a special teamer he was he was the gunner of gunners yeah. right and he would go down the field he would fly throw his body everywhere he was fearless he still at his age is such an inspiration to talk to he can i had him come speak do a speech for ESPN for about 500 people he lit the room up. You could not get out of that room and not think that you could tackle anybody on any field at any time. And so he made the Eagles and he was out of nowhere, this gunner for three years playing yep. for the Eagles. Three it was years this glorious story. Because he was a guy like he was a Philly dude who made the hometown team and he was a nothing. And obviously it's gone on to be a great life for him because he became such a folk hero in that town. And and we both know, like Philly is a town. If you were going to make it as a folk hero, that is the time to make it.
0: (laughs) Almost all their heroes are folk heroes, really. That's true. All right, Chad, great stuff. Uh, I think we both have the Zags. We both have the over, it sounds like. The Action Network is the place to go. God, it's been fun. Can't wait for the game tonight, or we're doing this Sunday night tomorrow night. And thanks, buddy. All right, brother. Talk to you later. Remember to rate this show and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcasts. Also. The Volume now on YouTube. Yep, we're on YouTube. We'll be uploading new episodes and clips daily, including some past interviews and moments from all of our shows. Please go subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash The Volume.